identifying the problem. And yeah, I, I say that very advisedly because uh, there is a risk of, you know, if you go out and talk to uh, any anything, but let's say a physician, uh, but anyone in any profession and say, you know, what's your problem? Well, I need a, you know, it's something bent this way and it's got to be colored blue and it should plug in like that. Right. No, that's not what you need. What you need is you need to be holding the liver back out the way so you can see. That's the problem. Don't tell me what the solution is. Let the engineer do the solution. You help me to find the problem because you know what? I have tools you don't have. I have ways of, of you know, addressing this problem that you don't have. So don't dictate a solution to me. Be very clear about what the problem is. And that's the role that, that anyone can play is to say, you know what, I cannot, you know, expose the, uh, you know, the head of the femur well enough to do what I'm doing here. Please find a way so I can see that. I don't know, maybe it's putting a camera in there, but it's many ways that an engineer could approach that problem. So, you know, that's the big risk. And, and I always warn entrepreneurs not to get pulled into being, having a solution dictated. Try to cut below and find out what the actual problem is because it may open up some really exciting opportunities. We talk a lot about health technology, but how did we even get here? What is biomedical engineering? Hi there, my name's Jeff and this is How It's Med, the podcast where we chat with people who are shaping the future of healthcare and health tech. On this podcast, we chat with former founders, investors, and your occasional Olympic hopeful who's now a venture capitalist. This time around, we rejoin a conversation with Jeff Oshelik, the current CEO of Claris Healthcare and previous co-founder of Neoteric, a company that revolutionized how we safely deliver blood products the world around. Let's get started. I so a little a little further back in this conversation, I had asked whether or not there was any pushback from the surgeons in the room. You ended up being involved in so many different projects, and then I'm assuming that not all of them were to do. Uh, with uh, Dr. Day. No. So was there ever any pushback from surgeons or other stakeholders in hospitals to engineers becoming more involved in the healthcare sector? Sure. Uh, you know, there, there's always the ones who are reluctant to change and re reluctant to move yeah. on. But, uh, you know, the one of the lessons I learned about business in general very early on in, in, in my career was that, you know, if you actually go out to people and ask them what their problems are, and what they need help with, and then solve that problem, they're incredibly receptive, right? And incredibly willing to fix it. If you come in and say, you know, we think you're messing it all up and here's a better way to do it. Well, you know what? Your reception isn't going to be super positive, you know, but the, the biggest successes I've had in my life were not on my ideas. They were on ideas that a customer came to us and said, you know what? If you could do this, I'd be really interested. <laughs> hey, we did it and they were really interested and it worked really well, you know, so uh, I, I think I was slow to learn that, but ultimately I did learn that, you know, identifying the, you know, the customer's pain, I'll call it, the customer's need, and then fulfilling that was a route to success in terms of financial success and business success, but success in getting those technologies adopted. Okay. And if you were to explain, I have, I have this question that I ask everyone who comes on, if you were to explain what you do as a biomedical engineer or what you've done so far to a five-year-old, how would you explain what biomedical engineering is? Hmm. I would say it's uh, 
measuring things about the body so that you can make decisions and look after a patient who's that's fair enough one yeah one answer. i think there are many answers yeah what what are the other answers uh helping guide people through care for themselves so providing them with information so they can take action after their own health uh helping design new tissues and implants and things so that we can actually repair people's bodies engineering involved with that like well a hip joint um well, there's there's a, there's some answers i could probably come up with more if you brought me another glass of scotch so i mean you you've mentioned there are many different ways that biomedical engineering impacts healthcare and you've mentioned that um there are I guess, various perceptions that people in the healthcare system had uh, towards biomedical engineering. From your perspective, what is the role of the physician or the care team when it comes to designing a product? Is it just providing feedback or are there more direct roles that they can take? Identifying the problem. And I I say that very advisedly because uh, there is a risk of, you know, if you go out and talk to uh, any anything but let's say a physician but anyone in any profession and say you know what's your problem well i need a you know it's something bent this way and it's got to be colored blue and it should plug in like that say no that's not what you need what you need is you need to be holding the liver back out the way so you can see that's the problem don't tell me what the solution is let the engineer do the solution you help me to find the problem because you know what i have tools you don't have I have ways of, of you know, addressing this problem that you don't. So don't dictate a solution to me. Be very clear about what the problem is. And that's the role that, that anyone can play is to say, you know what, I cannot you know, expose the, uh, you know, the head of the femur well enough to do what I'm doing here. Please find a way so I can see that. I don't know, maybe it's putting a camera in there, but it's many ways that an engineer could approach that problem. So that's the big risk. And, and I always warn entrepreneurs not to get pulled into being, having a solution dictated to them. Try to cut below and find out what the actual problem is, because it may open up some really exciting opportunities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So speaking of exciting opportunities, what was the story of the transition between your work with Neoteric to co-founding Claris? Yeah, so uh, it turns out that there's another job I'm not good at, too, and that's retirement. I got fired from retirement. Uh, We built a Neoteric up for about a a decade or so, and uh, then in 2008-2009, we uh, got an offer to to sell it to Human Eggs Corporation out of Boston, which is a big blood management company, and it was a perfect fit for them. It was a great relationship. It It was a good deal all around. Very happy with that. So I worked for them for a couple of years and then decided to retire because I'd done well and could take a break. It turned out I'm not good at retirement. I got pretty bored after about six months. And then I got fired. And, you know, everyone immediately says, oh, your wife fired you. No, it wasn't my wife. It was one of the guys who worked with me at Neoteric had gone to, to uh, Humanetics in Boston. And after a few years, on basically January of uh, 2012, he phoned me up and said, I can't stand working for a big public company, so I've quit my job. So I need a new job. So you're starting a new company. So what are we doing? Right like that, I was fired from retirement and back in the fray. And his timing was perfect because I was just sort of at that stage of going like, you know, you can only mow the lawn so many times. <laughs> you know, gotta, gotta be something more worthwhile to do. 
so Paul and I co-founded Claris, uh, Claris Healthcare in, uh, in 2012, launched into it again. So what, what specifically drove the story behind Claris? Because you've told me the story about the breast milk bank and also all the errors made in identifying samples or even transfusions uh, with Neoteric. What drove the, uh, the foundational idea or the solution Claris provides? Yeah, no, that's really interesting because, you know, having had the experience of uh, Neoteric where we went out and threw a whole lot of things at the wall and waited until something stuck, and that ended up being blood transfusion, but that is certainly not where we started. We had, we had no idea we were building a blood transfusion company when we started. Another story. But uh, Claris, we said, okay, let's, let's do this properly. Let's sit down and define what we're going to do before we start building prototypes and wasting money. So we said, okay, what is the biggest problem facing healthcare today in 2012? What's the biggest problem facing healthcare? And we very consistently got an answer from everybody that an aging population is breaking our healthcare system. And that was true 10 years ago. It's even more true today. Problem is that our healthcare system is designed around acute interventions for generally healthy younger people where you can put them in a hospital bed, cure them, and send them home. So it's an interventional kind of uh, approach which is based around these very expensive uh, facilities where you, know, you, you minimize the time they're in and you, you send them home. The trouble with an aging population is there's not acute problems that they, they suffer from. It's multiple chronic conditions that they will die with that need to be managed. They can't be cured. So the whole idea of taking somebody with a chronic condition, putting them in a hospital bed and leaving them there until they're cured, well, that's basically is a death sentence and it's going to be so expensive, you're going to bankrupt the whole healthcare system. So that approach is just totally wrong. So the upshot is everyone's saying, well, we got to move care for our aging population and people with chronic conditions out of institutional setting and into the home setting. Got to, you know, people have to stay at home and age in place and be safe and be looked after and all that, but outside of the institutional setting. <clears throat> so that was the challenge. So we said, okay, we're smart guys. So we went around, we interviewed a whole lot of people and said, one question. What is it that makes you, it causes you to make that terrible decision to uproot a senior from their home and put them into some kind of care or institution? And what can we do to delay that by a week, a year, a month, like, you know, some period of time? We got two consistent answers. The first one was around medication compliance and this stunning statistic in the province of British Columbia, 40% of hospital admissions for people over the age of 50 are medication related. Just a crazy percentage. So we said, oh, okay. Let's take a look at that. And well, we went and looked at that, and there's little companies like Philips and General Electric and big, big tiny companies, tiny, you know, doing all sorts of stuff in in medication compliance. They said, you know, there's probably not much we can add there. Turns out later on that I found there was a way we can add that. But at that time, we said, not much we can do there. So we said, well, what else is there? We had this wonderful conversation with the hospitals, Victoria General, where. He said, you know, I'm at the tail end of an inexorable process for a senior living on their own. If they get in trouble, they dial 911. 911 operator, they send the paramedics. The paramedics, they scoop them up and they bring them to emergency room. Emergency room puts them in a bed and I finally get to talk to this person. He said, I can tell you that more than 90% of the times, if I'd been monitoring this patient and seen the trend and had been able to provide them with timely, relevant self-care information, we could have avoided all this. We didn't need to do all of this. They could have looked after themselves in their own home. So being techie guys, Paul and I whipped out our iPhones and said, you know, FaceTime, problem solved. There you go. Just give him an iPhone, you know, and that, that'll do it. And this guy said, the, here's the aha moment. He said, yeah, 
My mom's 85 years old. She phones me up every time she wants to turn on the TV because she can't figure out her remote control. How do you think she's going to do with an iPhone? Now, at that time, my mom was 92 years old and phoned me up every time she wanted to turn on the TV. So I knew exactly what this kid was talking about. And I sit there saying, just imagining my mom trying to figure out how to download an app on her iPhone and Bluetooth connect it to her blood pressure cup. This isn't. So that was our aha moment that we had to figure out a way creating a communications channel into the homes of seniors that was accessible, engaging, and allowed them to have this open connection through which we could monitor them and we could deliver care. So we quickly prototyped something up and we took it around to a whole lot of seniors and said, what do you think of this? And unanimously they said, this is a wonderful idea. I know lots of people who need something like this, but I'm perfectly okay myself. I don't need anything like that. Which is the problem that anyone trying to introduce technology to seniors gets. And that's, I, I now understand that I'm about to turn 65 in a couple of weeks, but I'm going up skiing tomorrow and I'm still going to ski like a 30-year-old because as far as I'm concerned, I still feel like a 30-year-old. So don't tell me that I'm old and that I need help and assistance and you know this kind of thing. So this really limits the ability to introduce healthcare technology to an aging population. They don't want to admit, I don't want to admit but I'm old and frail. So we felt that we had to do something different. So we retracted from the market and we came back with something we call Clara's Companion. Clara's Companion deals with what is now called social isolation. And what we said is this is a communications platform. It allows you to engage in Zoom calls and emails and text messages and TikTok and Facebook and all the stuff that your grandchildren are talking about that you can't figure out or isn't worth learning or so on and so forth. We can put this in your hands in a way that makes it incredibly accessible for you. What do you think of that? So now this thing's sitting on your counter. It's not a healthcare device. It's a communications platform for staying in touch with the family and doing all the sharing photographs and doing all this kind of stuff. Oh, every so often it may stop and say, please measure your blood pressure, but that's not the main reason. There is. Okay, well, you get where I'm going with this thing. Once that communication channel is open and accessible, we can use it for any number of different things, like a wide range of different But we've got to have that channel open. So that's what we created. We've been selling that for over 10 years. Uh, now with COVID, the very fact that that helps address social isolation has just made our sales explode. It's just a huge opportunity for us because everyone saw the picture of Granny with their hand on the glass, wanting to be in touch with their family, and now we have a way of doing that. There we are. That's that's how we got there. So, I mean, it seems like you kind of, to, to some degree, incepted your way into uh, seniors' homes and convinced them to take measure of their health without necessarily being aware of the fact or necessarily bringing to light the fact that they require help because people are proud. Um, how did you eventually turn that into multiple different product streams? Well, it, it's actually all the same product. It's just different applications of it. So, uh, you know, right now uh, I'm talking to you over a bit of software that is using a pair of wires that run out of my house and up a pole out in the street. But the telephone company doesn't care what I'm using that for. You know, we could be having this video conversation. I'd be playing games. You know, I can be doing any number of things. I have to have a voice call with somebody. But they don't care. And Claris doesn't care either. We, you know, we, we're establishing this open channel communication, then you can use it for anything you want. It's an open platform. You can load any app in the app store on it. You can 
put any document, any, any web link, anything you like. So you tell me how you want to use it. So as a result, we've had this thing used for in-home uh, rehabilitation after surgery. We uh, use it for playing bingo games. We use it for remote patient monitoring, where we're monitoring various uh, vital signs and reporting that back to physicians. It's all exactly the same platform. It's just how would you like to use it? I guess to, to summarize all you've done in your wide-ranging career between Claris, Neoteric, all the devices that you've worked on, whether or not they succeeded, it seems like there's a very deep uh, humanitarian aspect to it all when it comes to wanting to solve the specific problems that the healthcare system or healthcare workers face. Is there a specific mentality that has driven you to specifically pursue this line of work, or is it just who you are? No, well, I guess it's become who I am, but, uh, mm-hmm. uh, well, again, Dr. Jim McEwen, who gave me the first job, he once said to me, just sort of off the cuff, and I don't even think he remembers it, he said, you know, it's great to have a career where you can do well by doing good. And isn't that a wonderful thought that, you know, yeah, you can have financial success and, you know, raise a family and build a house and all that kind of thing. But at the same time, come home at night and say, you know, I'm actually moving the world forward. I'm leaving the world in a better place than when I went in there at the clock this morning. And how many engineers get to say, you know, that uh, our device, our software, our product saved somebody's life today? And, you know, I've had that happen. You know, I've had phone calls from customers who say, your blood transfusion system prevented a transfusion today because it was a mistake that would have killed the patient. Well, that's pretty damn cool. You know, as a physician, I guess you get to do that, you know, fairly often. You can make decisions that are really life-changing. But as an engineer, not so many, right? You know, so it's really nice to be able to say, hey, you know, I made a a really positive impact on people's lives out there. And I I think that's what drives me. In fact, I remember I always tell this tale about hiring a software engineer who had been working at Electronic Arts. And he came to us at Neoteric when, you know, we were six people or something, and struggling for cash and all the usual things of a startup company. And I said, why the hell would you want to come from EA, you know, free food and soccer field out the back and, you know, job security and playing a video game? Why the heck would you want to come to this company where maybe we won't make payroll on Friday? And he said, well, you know, at EA, maybe I make a more realistic blood splatter in some shoot 'em up game, and here I could save somebody's life. Like, okay, well, yeah, well, needless to say, you got the job. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it's just... It's really great to look back on a career and say, I have made a positive impact on people's lives individually and collectively. I've left the world in a better place than I found it. That's, that's really key. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, looking to the future, what exactly excites you most about the future of biomedical engineering? Is it more changes in the field? Is it a specific piece of technology? What excites you most? Uh, the impact of AI is going to have on, uh, you know, the, on, on healthcare. There's, there's already, we're beginning to see AI moving from ain't that cute to, oh, this is actually going to be used. And we're, we're at this really fascinating transition point where it's going to go from, you know, being able to do cute tricks or maybe win a game ago or something into actually being able to make positive contributions to humankind. No, um, I'm not entirely sure that it's going to be entirely benign and we're going to have to be very very careful as we roll it out you know i mean look at all the stuff around uh, chat gpt and you know it it will tell you lies 
it doesn't seem to care whether what it's saying is accurate or false information. And, you know, if you do get a, a false question, a false response from chat GPT, ask it why it gave you the wrong answer and it'll turn around and give you the right answer. It knew the right answer. And it's like, whoa, we got to put guardrails around this, right? You know, so there's some really interesting challenges coming up, but Generally speaking, I'm uh, I'm an optimistic person, and I think that there's going to be huge value come up application of AI help. Mm-hmm. I mean, that in itself sounds antithetical to adoption in medicine overall, does it not? Because you've mentioned that healthcare itself is very, very conservative, and yep. to have an AI that can give you the wrong answer by choice and then give you the right answer, that seems like something that no one will number one, want dealing with their health, but number two, no one will accept liability for us. Well, exactly. You know, so I didn't say it was going to be easy and I didn't say it was going to be quick. I'm just saying that in the longer term, it has the potential to have a huge and potentially positive impact on healthcare. So we'll see. And, uh, you know, as my elder brother uh, says, uh, I'm, I want to stay around a lot longer and see what happens next. You know, so <laughs> I think it's a uh, just a wonderful, uh, you know, time to be involved in this stuff as technology accelerates and the opportunities, you know, blossom and branch out. Mm-hmm. Um, to close off, um, usually I give our guests a chance to to plug whatever they want to. Is there are there any pluggables that you'd like to plug uh, before we end off this podcast? Well, sure. I'll, I'll I'll say that you know if if you have a family member, an elderly family member who's feeling isolated, go to clariscompanion.com and take a look at what we can do for them because uh, we can really help in that situation. So I'll make that plug. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's great to meet you, Jeffrey, and uh, to chat with you. It's really fun. Thank you so much. Till next time. You bet. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of How It's Med. If you liked what you heard, the best way to support us is to go to your podcast platform, be it Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever you like, and to give us a rating and a recommendation or a comment so that others can best find us. If you can't do that, then we'd really appreciate it if you could share your favorite episode with those that you care about and who you think would find our work interesting. Till next time.